We're back! We're back! It's a distraction! I'm Drew! That's Roth! How you doing, Roth? I'm good. Uh, you know, I have allergies, but I'm good. I'm alive. I just feel bad. It is. It's allergy talking season. You don't. You can't go yeah. anywhere without people talking about sinuses, allergies. Playboy. How are you? How about you? How are those pipes? I remain convinced my wife has bad uh, hay fever allergies and like many allergies. Like at this point, like it's better to just figure out what she's not allergic to than the other way around. And I'm convinced that she gave me seasonal allergies because I never had them before I got <laughs> married. And now I like like April comes around and I'm like, why are my eyes so dry and itchy? It's so annoying. It must be, I must be doing too many drugs. <laughs> this is just you being a good ally. I think it's really touching that you would do that. Then I got like I got she has eczema and I got eczema like on my eyelid and I went up to her and I was like, You see what you did? You did you monster. <laughs> she's like, it's not, it's not contagious. Drew and I'm like, well, that's a likely story. <laughs> hey, I have to we finally have back one. on the podcast our own Lauren Tyson defector. How you doing, Lauren? Hey guys, how's it going? It is so good to have you here, and you're here just in time because da na 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 da na na da na da 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 na da 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 na da da. The NHL playoffs are here again, and we need someone to take us through this goddamn bracket. So it's time. For a Lauren Tyson guide to the NHL playoffs. Are you ready, Lauren? I'm so ready. Uh, can you tell us, uh, I, I just want to start by being like, how has this NHL season been so far? Has it been a cool season? Yeah, I think it's been fun. I think it's been uh, more of a shift towards like an offense-heavy season than Ooh. we've had in the past. Oh, so we've had a little more comebacks, a little more like unpredictability. Um, the Boston oh, Bruins put together... I mean, I don't like them, but they yeah, put together probably like the best regular season of all time. I would argue that at least. Really? Over the, over the 77 Canadians, I would argue for the Bruins because the Canadians didn't have to play against the Russians. Is that quantifiable in terms of points or not? Uh, in terms of most wins. Um, so they changed the overtime rules since the 77 Canadians. So by regulation wins and by fewest losses, it's the 77 Canadians. But um, by total wins and by points, it is the Bruins that are the best team of all I'll time. God damn. That's terrible news, Roth. I hate hearing that. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming the vibes are still great. The incredible vibes that you can only get at a Bruins game with the people that like to go to Bruins games. They're still... Uh, some of them are sick right now. There's a bug going around the locker room. Patrice Bergeron didn't play in game one, but they won game one. So like, there's no real reason to, to worry. Oh, they were saying all the fans, like, no, the fans what were I'm sick. About. And I was oh. like, oh, that's great. They all have leprosy. That's fantastic. Yeah, they, all, <laughs> they all got... Uh, they, they caught a chill when they took their shirts off at Fenway on the for the Patriots Day game and you, uh we're you know screaming what that was cool that it was, was kind of it was like not my type of party necessarily but i could see how it could be your type of party i remember there was also one time uh there was a pats playoff game i it was either a pats playoff game or a december game it was at gillette which is a shit stadium but it had snowed and the patriots won and they didn't throw snowballs at the the field the way you might in Philadelphia or New York or, or New Jersey they were just throwing up the snow like on themselves in joy and I thought that was extremely fun and cool fuck the Patriots but that was a really fun time yep. we are off track Lauren let's start with the Western Conference I want to go through the teams and I have some basic questions to ask you Roth and I do uh, I, and I'm gonna go by the NHL's weird playoff seating methods which you can also explain to us because we don't understand them and they're confusing uh, top them. three from each division and two wild cards. Okay. All right. That's good. All right. So here's your Western Conference. You have the top seed Colorado Av Avalanche that are defending champions. The Dallas Stars, boo! The Minnesota Wild, who are not the North Stars, but like I'll sort of take it. And the Seattle Kraken, they're a wild card. And then 
Uh, over on the other side of the bracket, you have the Vegas Golden Knights, who are somehow the number one seed like every year, you, even though they're like a new team. They didn't make the playoffs last year, but otherwise, right. yes. But like other than that, that's pretty. It's still a pretty impressive yes, run for a team absolutely. that didn't exist. The Kraken uh, too. Being an expansion team in the NHL seems like it just makes you better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you just instantly vault ahead of all the shitty legacy teams that are mostly just like dedicated to institutional racism and mistakes. Yeah, like it's really couldn't, nice. Couldn't the couldn't your Red Wings? Couldn't they just like cease operations for a couple of years and come back as an expansion <laughs> team? And, <laughs> I it's like when you that, pop yeah. the pull the plug on your internet router and then wait a minute and plug it back in. That's the uh, organizational philosophy that they finishing need to the West. We got the Edmonton Oilers, the LA Kings, and the Winnipeg Jets, who are also a wild card team. So here are your questions. Let's start with the basic question in the Western Conference, Lauren. Which of these teams is the most fun to watch? If you're not actively rooting for them, then it's got to be the Edmonton Oilers. And we saw that last night with the way that they blew a 3-2 lead in the very final minute and then lost in overtime. Uh, they have two of the best players in the world. They have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They do not have a lot of depth beneath them. They're a team that won in the regular season by scoring a lot on the power play, by playing a style that I think old school people will tell you like won't work in the playoffs. So they are a kind of like... 5-4 kind of team uh, in terms do of they, how they want to win. Do they wear helmets or are they exempted from that rule like Craig McTavish ones? Was? They do wear helmets. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. So they're like the Sacramento Kings of, of the NHL then. I glean, Lauren, from your answer, because you said if, if you like them, the Edmonton Oilers, I'm, I'm getting the sense that maybe you don't like the Edmonton Oilers. Would that be um, I like them in as like a concept and I like that they exist. Um, I'm not like actively cheering for them and I'm not like, I mean, if you are going to get your heart broken when they get knocked out, like then they're not a fun team to watch. But if mm. you're watching them as a curiosity, if you just enjoy McDavid and Dreisaitl and want to see them play, then they are a good team to like latch on to because their games pretty much always have a good chance of having a decent amount of scoring and, and entertainment. So Lauren, as a hockey idiot, how much of an outlier are they relative to like, is it, are they really like an actual freakish team or is it just that they're the best version of a type of team that's ordinarily bad and not getting talked about in the playoffs at all? Uh, outlier meaning McDavid and Dreisaitl or the Oilers yeah. in general? Um, I mean, like the consistency is part of it too. I mean, if you look at like pure scoring, you can look at like uh, David Pasternak got 61 this season. So it's not like... Ooh. They're putting up completely untouchable numbers, but the fact that they're doing so year after year and that so much of the game uh, revolves around them, like I think that makes them a bit of an outline. Just the fact that they're both on the same team, you know, they'd both be really great players individually, but that they have this like specific duo is a very, very special thing. Because I am an extreme casual, as uh, Puck Don't Stop would categorize me, um, I still stop. think of Connor McDavid. As basically like the the new prodigy on the block, the way Sidney Crosby once was, you know, once upon a time. I assume that's not really true anymore. I assume he is a, a grizzled veteran now with a beard down to his knees and shit like that. He's got a bit of a beard. I mean, he came in young. I think he is he's younger than me. I think he's like 26. Oh, now. shit. Oh, he's a teenager. Oh, forget it. Then. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like that's the Oilers have to be kind of stressed because... You can't just like luck into two generational players uh, over and over again. And they do have to like make the most of their primes. And so far, they have not been doing that. So there is like, you can start to feel the ticking clock in a way that you didn't, you know, four or five years ago. Why have they not been able to do that? I think they've just made poor moves outside of um, 
outside of you know getting McDavid and Drysaitel, uh, the Duncan Keith trade last year. I, we don't need to go into all the details, but yeah. I just that's true. And then they did trade for Russell Westbrook, and that was just <laughs> such a big mistake. Awful. Duncan Heath is such a good Canadian name. That's just like a guy that would be, uh, I don't know, like the sort of second lead in a Hallmark movie. He's like the Baxter boyfriend. <laughs> like he's handsome and all that, but I don't think he's got, he doesn't have what it takes relative to, you know, a, a Paul Campbell type. Yeah. The stuff that you actually have to like think about in terms of building a hockey team, they, they haven't done so well on that over their last few general managers. Uh, apart from those two Oilers uh, wonderkins, which players in this side of the bracket are the going to be the most fun to watch during the playoffs? Um, in terms of like a guy that this team just like really, really needs to rely on him a lot, I think it's like Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild. Um, Ooh, the Wild. The Wild are not a team that scored a lot, uh, at five Ooh. on five at least, but Kaprizov is just like a very beautiful skater. I think he just like can score in a ton of different ways. He got like 40 goals. I think the next best wild guy got like 30 and then below that they had like just a lot of very, very secondary scorers. So Kaprizov is a guy who's got to score a lot if the wild are going to beat the stars. Um, also like in that star series, uh, Jake Ottinger rules. He's the goalie for the stars. He had like a incredible a performance where he almost stole a series against Calgary last year. And I thought he was going to steal game one uh, last night, but uh, turnover ended up screwing him in the wild one and double overtime but him trying to like gut out marathons um is would be a really fun thing to watch if that oh up. that's right we have nhl playoff overtime um, yeah it, i'm oh, already man. sleep deprived from it <laughs> i have allergies <laughs> to complain about and i have a lack of yeah. sleep oh, Can I, you mind I'm if i steer things you. back to allergies for a minute how you yeah. <laughs> I just what the listeners want. I don't I don't really care. I just think that this is a lot of hockey and they're probably wondering if I have to blow my nose right now. And the answer is, yeah, I do. Well, well, do that. We could get we could have our producer Eric do a sound effect like an air horn or something. <laughs> Lauren, who are the villains in this side of the bracket player, coach or team? It doesn't matter. Um, so with the caveat that I don't hate them, um, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to stand out as a villain because there's a funny quirk in the NHL where they don't have a salary cap in the playoffs. And if you have a guy on injured reserve, he doesn't count against the salary cap. So they just brought back Mark Stone for the game tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday. Mark Stone's one of their better scorers. He's one of their, what I would call like kind of brand name guys that they have. He had the stoner. Back, he had back surgery in January and was out for a while. And so he didn't count against the salary cap. They were able to make moves at the trade deadline. And then miraculously, the very, very beginning of the playoffs, he is now like healthy enough to play at a time when the salary cap doesn't matter. So that happened with the Lightning a few years back with Nikita Kucherov. Um, people got like very upset at the circumvention of the salary cap, which is not something that I would get upset by. But um, right, because you don't be don't hate the it. player, hate the game. Like that's not mm -hmm. they're just being shrewd, right? I think so. Um, I mean, like. If you want to be like, oh, it's unfair to the teams that don't have debilitating injuries to their star players over the long term. Uh, <laughs> Those guys have gotten that. it too easy for too long. <laughs> I feel like if you make if you make it to the playoffs and one of your really good players has like a debilitating back injury, then I think whatever. Yeah, if that person's healthy enough back, to play, yeah. yeah, go nuts. Whatever. It's that's a. Uh, it's easy for me to have that kind of largesse because I don't know or care anything about it, but that seems like a weird thing to get upset about. To it's me. very Gary Bettman to get fans to be like, whoa, hey, that team pays its players too much money. That's bullshit. Yeah. 
<laughs> no fair. Which of these coaches is the most annoying, Lauren? Um, I don't know. I think I want to talk about uh, the Wild and the Jets. Um, yes, do that. Dean Dean Evason. I actually don't. It's Evason or Evason. Um, That's all right. No hockey fans are listening. It's okay. He's the wild coach. I'm I'm hoping to see, partially hoping to see the Wild and the Jets cross paths because at the very end of the regular season, um, the Jets had uh, injured Kaprizov, um, maybe on accident, earlier in the year. It was their next meeting. There was a lot of fights. There was a lot of nastiness. And at the very, very end of the game, the the wild coach, Dean, uh, sent out Ryan Reeves, who was like their big enforcer with kind of sending a message that like we want to get into a fight and they did get to a fight Ooh, and so rick bonus was on the bench for the jets and it very much looked like if there was no divider between the two benches he would have like gone over and pulled the juan howard like wow we I had like a real it. potential for a for a coach fight um, i love i think we we'll get the uh the the uh, the announcer being like well these two teams they just don't like each other (laughs) they're not going to be sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) that's good though i think that sounds like a fun energy to bring to yeah i like i will say too the wild came into the star series uh definitely looking to to put the hurt on because uh matt dumba one of the wild's big defensemen had a very very painful looking hit on joe pavelski in game one that got the stars very upset um the lowest form of conversation in the NHL is whether or not a ref should have called a penalty on a play. So I don't really want to get into that too much. But Wild Stars, if they didn't exhaust themselves in double overtime, it's gonna it's gonna keep getting pretty nasty. Uh, who's the best team in the conference? Who's gonna come out of it? It's really really even compared to the East. Um, I thought Dallas going in, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Dallas. I think they have the the fewest flaws or the the fewest like real questions that I have about them. Ugh. Ugh. Dallas, who stole my team. As long as something cool is happening to the Dallas metro area, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. that Dallas hockey tradition we all know yep. and love. Let's go to the West, Lauren Tyson. It's going to be all the same questions. Uh, at the top of the East, you have the aforementioned Boston Bruins, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are always here, and the Florida Panthers. And then on the other side of the bracket, top seed Carolina Hurricanes. And then we have the Tri-State uh Combo of the New Jersey Hell Devils, yeah. the New York Rangers, and the New York Islanders. Who's uh, your favorite team in there, or who? which is the most fun team? Who are the villains? Who sucks? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so we'll start with most fun to watch. Um, the Hurricanes play in a way that I really, really appreciate. Um, they create a ton of chances, and they limit a lot of chances at the other end. And the record isn't as good as it could be based solely on that, because they're not great finishers, and their goaltending is closer to league average. But they're just a team that keeps the puck away from their own net like better than anyone else. And I, I respect that in a team a lot. But the Devils are fun. The Devils got a bad rap in the 90s for being boring, but the Devils are just full of these uh, like mid to early 20s forwards who just like want to get to the net. And like every turnover, they have three guys just like swarming the goalie. And I really, really have enjoyed uh, the way this Devils team has finally broken out so- this year. So no more neutral zone trapping? Is that what you're saying? If I watch a Devils game, there will be actual scoring? Yes. Ooh. I, I don't I like approve it. of that sort of thing. And you never think, know when enforcer uh, Sergey cut your head off is going to get in there and start mixing it up, which I'm <laughs> excited to see. Mm-hmm. We talk about uh, New Jersey Devils enforcers. Or are you going to? I can. I can actually participate in that. Chat yeah, yeah. Because you can. Tell, you can just. Na- I can rattle off Sergey Zuboff and. Wait, he was a ranger for. I Ken Danico was a guy. Danico was a guy when I was a kid. Oh, I remember. I, I had a social studies teacher in middle school who is what uh, we in New Jersey call devil babe. 
She was a devil babe. She loved to go to devil's games <laughs> wearing uh, a pair of like leggings and a huge hockey jersey. That was a, it's actually, if you've seen Kevin Smith, it's basically the same look that he popularized <laughs> later. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Or Lauren, also a pioneer in that field. The, um, but yeah, uh, Ms. Baker was a big um, Ken Danico fan. And I can't really uh, say that she was wrong in that regard. And he had a really long, uh, hockey guy hair and he loved to get in fights and knock people over and that's like a you know that's pretty much all you, you're looking for in a certain type of dude if you're a social studies teacher at my middle school I guess uh, Roth uh, I, this is a, a, a very very quick aside for the old people this is about my allergies do you remember the fabulous sports babe yeah okay yes all right that's, the only, that's as long as I want to talk about it but I just wanted to say do you remember and that's it okay uh who are the bad guys in this bracket which of these teams is going to be irritating the, which team is going to be the villain and I let's just exempt the Bruins for a moment because that's just sort of a given like Boston boob blah, 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 blah. you know if we accept the Bruins there isn't a real obvious villain because they are so clear-cut like the favorites and they're Boston and all that I will say Rangers Devils is just going to be like unpleasant in a way that I am kind of excited for. Oh but gosh, just, are they playing each other in the first yeah, round? Yeah. Wow. So I don't even know about like on the ice so much, although that will be part of it, but just those two fan bases colliding as many as like seven times in a row is yeah. uh, not something I don't like. I, I'm both like looking forward to it, but I'm also like very afraid of what it will, what havoc it will wreak on my, on my city. It's the sort of experience you ordinarily have to go to a bar called like the Blarney Man near Madison Square Garden to have. It's uh that's gonna be that's gonna be I think anything that is like a narcissism of small differences contest is always gonna be fun. And so the idea of these guys being like, it's called the hero sandwich, the other ones being like, Yeah, it is called the hero sandwich, you fucking asshole. Like that back and <laughs> forth is I think really gonna be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh is there any chance, is there a at least a halfway decent chance that this is the year a Canadian team finally wins this fucking thing, Lauren, or should I just, they should worry about getting out of the first round. Oh, Um, brutal. I mean, the jets are, the jets are clear underdogs against the Knights and then the Oilers and Leafs, while both very talented in some ways, uh, are just have a history of disappointment, especially the Leafs. I mean, if the Leafs get out of the first round, that in itself is like a huge monkey off their backs. So yeah, I'm always fascinated by them because they, that's like, it seems like some of the worst organizations in major professional sports are in the NHL. And I don't know about it because I don't care about it as much, but the Leafs are like, it is like an iconic cornerstone franchise in the league. And all they do is, uh, torment fans of a a major North American city. Like they, I know the, the Canucks are the one that is like, I think like, so I have friends that are fans of that team, and they're like, you have no idea how badly run this organization is. Like, you yeah. couldn't comprehend it. There's no way you could run a baseball team that bad. The Leafs aren't quite that bad, but they're just, like, chronic underachievers, and that's likely to happen again this year? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, they're not bad at all. They assembled, like, a really good group of forwards. They, you know, they've done a decent job with that team. It's just, I think if you look at, like, each individual case of, like, times where they have lost in the first round, with the exception of Montreal, which they really blew that one, but... Otherwise, like you can kind of, you know, make an excuse or not be too sad about the team that beat them. So it's just like the the adding up of all of these like coin flips that didn't go their way is uh, especially brutal. 
So Ray Ratto, our friend, was going to be on this episode with us. He came back from a fabulous vacation, not feeling very well. I asked him if he had a question that he wanted to ask. Uh, and I said I would do it in a Ray Ratto voice, but I'm not going to do that because I, I don't think I, I have the range. So it's basically Drew's question, but written in Ray voice. So I okay. will read it. Um, who does God want to win the cup, knowing that he will not reward the smug, arrogant, entitled, miserable, or insufficiently scarred by playoff failure, thus ruling out nearly everyone but Winnipeg, Carolina, Florida, and New Jersey, with New Jersey being very much a borderline choice? So, uh, Lauren, same question, but uh, we love you, Ray. Get better. Yeah, that, that sounds like a Rado <laughs> question. That sounds like him. If you believe in a merciful God, then the Leafs are going to win it. But I, think I don't know why you would, Ray does not believe in that. I don't God. know why you would believe in a merciful God after you know fifty plus years of Leafs uh, failures. Are are Leafs fans shitty, Lauren? I don't. I really don't know the answer. They are not especially well liked by the rest of Canada. I think there's a feeling that like the the national media there just kind of revolves around Toronto, and I think there's a certain amount of resentment there. Uh, I don't really personally know many Leafs fans, so I don't have like hard feelings about them. But within Canada, they are not like the lovable underdogs. Yeah. Oh, Canada. Oh, so is it is. Are the Bruins just that much better than everybody else that it would be surprising if another team won? It, it wouldn't be surprising if another team won just because of the way the playoffs works. Like mm-hmm. they, yeah, right. It's- even like like most models are probably giving the Bruins like a thirty percent chance of winning, which is huge, but it's still yeah. only like a thirty percent chance. Um, it is just like hard to picture them losing four out of seven after the season that they have. But yeah. still, like you know, anything could really happen. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. But do you think it that anything will happen, or do you think Boston's pretty much going to win? I mean, playing the percentages, I would say they're not going to win. But it'd be silly to pick anyone other than the Bruins. Um, mm, all right. Wow. Just for fun, I'll stick with. Uh, I don't know. I I said a lot of nice things about the Carolina Hurricanes, so I'll I'll stick with them. I like the way they play hockey. Roth, who do you think will win the Stanley Cup? The knowing what uh, you know about hockey, and that's an extensive <laughs> amount. For me, it's the Nordiques. I just think that this is oh, the year that it all comes oh, together. Yeah. You right. The other, the other gag there is the Whalers, but I thought I'd leave that for you. If no, you no. I, I think I am one of those people who is slightly annoyed that the Whalers moved, and it would be fun if you know the Whalers still existed. But like, I'm not loyal to Hartford, so like, I, I've given it up. That's how do you gag. feel about? And I saw this at the Carolina game uh, last night, like people wearing Hartford Whalers jerseys to Carolina Hurricanes games. I mean, it's been decades, so I sort of get it. It's when it's when the Dallas Stars wear North Stars jerseys, then I get pissed. Yeah. Then it's like, you have no fucking right. That feels like they're like dancing on the grave to a certain yeah. extent. No, yeah. I don't. And like, I just, it, I can't, I can't abide it. It's annoying and shitty. That was a lot of hockey, Lauren, and now we're going to force you to Disagree. talk about not hockey stuff. Uh, okay. Namely, Roth, we haven't talked about this at all. Allergy uh, chat. But the report dropped over the weekend that Dan Snyder is at long last selling the commanders. It is not final yet because God forbid it be fucking final. But Jerry Jones already told the press um, prior to this news, uh, Lauren, that he wants the results of the ongoing Mary Jo White investigation into Snyder being conducted by the NFL. He wants that uh, investigation made public. Do you believe in the wake of the sales news that that will still happen in the NFL will release all of the ugly details of that investigation. I would not say all of the ugly details. I think something I've learned from uh, covering a lot of Big Ten scandals in particular is that results can mean a lot of different things. You know, you could have like a 125 page report that has like a pretty detailed catalog of 
interviews and findings and all that, or you could have, you know, a two page summary that doesn't really tell you anything meaningful. So the, the fucking memo, like a, like a, yeah. like a call report, like, let me just, uh, I will give you the, uh, just quick, real quick, just bullet points on the whole thing. Uh, he did it. They are not buried anywhere. They're buried at sea. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's just like terrible. Yeah. I, I, I'm not expecting anything to like stick to Snyder on the way out. I'm almost disgusted enough to accept that that's okay. As long as he's actually on the way out. I think that might've been, um, a contingency on him actually agreeing to sell. He's like, look, he, that's what he wanted, right? He wanted indemnity. Well, he wanted, he wanted to be indemnified against ever all the bad shit he's done and the other owners were like go fuck yourself. Yeah. But I think if if the least he can do is say listen, I'll sell and I'll get the fuck out of the paint, but please don't release this report. I think the NFL owners would be like fine because they know they can just they know that they'll be they'll be shit on for it for a new cycle and like, you know, and, pe- and people like us will bring it up a lot. I'll make sure to do it, but they will <laughs> essentially be able to carry on about their business regularly and that's all they give a flying yeah. fuck about can i say one uh, quick old guy bit on this lauren yeah. feel free to uh, leave the podcast briefly drew because <laughs> drew's been on a bit of a slack diet from <laughs> she actually pushed back from the mic <laughs> um good for her man. all right you know about the second bid on the team the, the potemkin bid uh, oh the the seven billion dollar one from right, brian so do you davis know that the that, Duke player the person whose name is on that bid the the guy's supposedly like the head of it is the same Brian Davis from the Christian Leitner Duke teams. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that. And I, I wanted to know like where he made his money and he, stuff. So he's a fucking repeat real estate grifter. Like wow. there's no way that offer oh, good for him. is apparently like the part of the deal is that he's going to, he said that he'll have a billion dollars cash. It's a cash offer, which even the Josh Harris offer is not. No, he says that he'll have a billion dollars cash on hand at signing with the rest payable within like 90 days. And that is definitely, definitely not true because like Davis has said that he's, uh, you know, like he was going to be developing real estate in, I think Atlantic city. He'd had all these other projects that he'd been on with Leitner, all of which came to nothing except for like creating a bunch of shell companies to move new debt into. It is amazing. It's like when that guy won the auction for the, um, flat iron building and then was like, Oh wow, that's funny. I definitely don't have that money. Like <laughs> this is, it's a very similar dynamic. I just think that's, it's perfect to be getting in a little bit of that, old timey Washington football team scuzz just under the wire before they get sold to like a normal billionaire uh, in Uh, a normal way. Lauren, once uh, Josh Harris and minority owner Magic Johnson, who is in the bid to buy the commanders and is very excited with his wife, Cookie, uh, (laughs) once they buy the team, Lauren, should they change the name of the team again? To the Washington McKenna's? Oh, Oh, I think it's the right... (laughs) No, honestly, like not joking. Like, uh, are you, do you think they should go through another goddamn rebranding or is it like, this is the name. We'll just live with it. Whatever. I don't really care. I have no, like, I'm glad they changed it. I could not care less about the the commanders either way. If I were buying the team and I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with that organization and that team as it stands. I think I would be kind of annoyed if I had like, you know, one of a very limited number of NFL franchises and it had that dorky name on it. Yeah. That is a nice thing about owning a team is that you could just change the name. Yeah. You can change, you can, and you can name it anything you want. You like, you don't, you can do, 
you can be like, oh, we took a public poll and all that stuff, but you can pull in a poll and just yeah. be like, oh, it's wizards, whatever, tough shit. You could just name it like a yacht. You could just call them like old beauty. Lauren, yeah. uh, we have a few the more. Uh, we have a few more sports things we have to talk to you about, but first we have to take a break. Uh, before we take a break, though, I just want to note that this episode is sponsored by 1988's The Boost, starring James Woods and Sean Young. <laughs> Probably streaming somewhere. We'll be right back with Lauren Tyson. <laughs> This week's episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens, which provides comprehensive nutrition and gut health support all in one convenient scoop. Their all-in-one formula makes it easy for people like me to cover my nutritional bases every day. Every scoop of Athletic Greens is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality that give me major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, and even healthier looking skin hair and nails. I have to tell you that I had to drink Athletic Greens for a different magazine assignment, and I ended up actually liking it quite a bit. And I put it in my water bottle even when I went on long bike rides. That was pretty cool. So if you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash distraction. That's athleticgreens.com slash distraction and check it out. And we're back with Lauren Tyson of Defector.com, new upstart website. Wow. Defector.com. <laughs> Lauren, uh, you wrote recently about the WWE and UFC merging together, a union that Satan himself surely blessed. Will this merger help Vince McMahon fend off competition from other wrestling promotions, such as AEW, which I think, and you can correct me, but I, I, I think you still believe that that is the better promotion currently? Yeah, I'm a pretty big AEW nerd. You are throwing me all of the bones today. I'm talking about hockey, and now I'm going to talk about wrestling. Which well, you can I mean, yeah. we have me you off. on. We should talk about the shit that interests you. And also, there's nothing else going on, because yep. I could talk to you about Lamar Jackson, but nobody knows yeah. what the fuck is going on with Lamar Wait until you see all of the questions in the fun bag, Lauren. Every single one of them is about Mackinac Island. Yeah, that's Shoot. right. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Um, so fending off competition, there's, like, I think, a couple ways to look at it. I mean, the one more difficult thing is that... UFC and WWE merging creates this like super company that's easily too big to fail that can't lose any money as long as the TV rights game stays the way it is. Okay. And it's going to get that way by exploiting wages and by uh, just like generally not paying people what they're worth. Yep. Yeah, that sounds like Dana. Yep. Yeah. Also delivering a lower quality product. Also cool whenever you can get that in there. I think so. So on the on the plus side for that new company specifically, I think... Something AEW really benefited from, actually, when it first started out, is that I think it came on TV in October of 2019. And from that point until April of 2022, WWE couldn't put on like a full-scale, no-restrictions WrestleMania. And so AEW had a couple of years, especially in the COVID era, when things like, you know, crowds and everything basically looked the same to kind of establish itself as being, you know, near the same level. And I think part of why the gap increased in 2022 is because... WWE got its like full scale WrestleMania back. It could put on an event that was so much bigger than anything AEW could do. And AEW's trying. I mean, they're doing a Wembley Stadium show in August, which is a huge, huge swing. Um, but I think as long as WWE has that like perception uh, advantage, that's going to make it easier. And it's only going to grow if the the company is so much bigger. 
that being said, if Endeavor is built around, you know, cutting costs and, you know, just like being private equity in annoying ways and doing the things that companies do when they have a lot of debt, uh, I think that makes AEW a more appealing place to work in other ways. Uh, not having Dana White and Vince McMahon at the top of your company is literally uh, Dana White and <laughs> yeah. Vince McMahon at the top of your company. <laughs> like that is geez. such such a combo. Really, generally just... a good thing. And wrestlers in general, I think like some of them are like freakishly loyal to Vince, but a lot of them did not like working for him and uh, are very uncomfortable with him being back. And so, I mean. Women in particular, I don't, I don't really envy their choice because uh, Vince is Vince and he's a pervert and AW is like very much a men's promotion and that's a difficult situation to be in. But in general, AW is going to have like potentially the better, the better vibes, the better atmosphere, but WWE will, I think, be able to, you know, in the same way that like UFC versus Bellator, like the, the wage difference isn't that much different. It's just that one can make you a bigger star. Well, the other thing uh, is that Vince is not only a shitbag, but also a very stale and bad creative mind. And I think wrestlers have noted that, particularly when he left the company for a cup of coffee and it was like, it was like Dan Snyder selling team. Like, oh, thank God Vince is fucked off. And yeah. Triple H, his son-in-law, was in charge. And uh, there was the perception that the storylines in the creative product was improving but now Vince has it back, and he nudged out his own daughter, uh, Stephanie McMahon. And so I assume that there is the idea that the that the product will go back to being as stale and as limp as it was when Vince was last in charge. Yeah. So in theory, Triple H, Paul Levesque has control of the day-to-day, and Vince can kind of like swoop in and do veto power mm-hmm. is how it feels like it's set up right now. Um the thing, like the the difference between the two, and I, I didn't like love Triple H's tenure, um, or I haven't like loved it. Like it's not, it's just not really my thing. Um, but Vince, like, I don't think he knows that like the way that time passes. Like I don't think he can know that there's like a next week. Uh, yeah. Whereas Triple H can actually like plan things months out in advance, and he, you know, was better at like sticking to actual plans. Whereas Vince, it kind of felt like at 5 p.m. on on Monday, he was, like, just deciding what to put on Monday Night Raw. It's like a hack comparison. I'm certainly not the first person to make it, but it's it's Trump shit. It's Trump brain. It's like, I think... Of course it is. And in a lot of... I mean, I think Vince and... I'm reading uh, Josie Reisman's book about Vince McMahon right now um, and very much enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. But it is... You can see sort of the the way that both of their minds were like formed in the early and mid eighties and then just froze in that period in the way that like for all people that become famous, it's like, you're sort of stuck at that age forever. And for them, it was like, they were whatever, 40 something year old guys on the make at a time when like the culture has basically never been stupider or worse. And they just, I think at that point are just rerunning the same day from like 1985 over and over again until they die. Which I guess is like they. I assume they have fun doing that shit, but I for sure can't. Ima- I mean, well, it's easy to imagine. Everybody can now what it's like to be stuck under the thumb of someone like that. Kind of sucks for people that care about that promotion. I'd imagine. Yeah, or just anyone who doesn't fit into Vince's idea of uh, what a superstar is. I mean, that's what got AEW pretty much started in the first place. Was there were all these guys who had found a lot of success on the indies, and you know, even in Japan too, like. There were a lot of really, really talented American wrestlers that just didn't fit the the WWE mold. And Triple H, 
has a slightly wider view, he was kind of a threat to AEW's ability to be like the one place where like smaller people or, you know, kind of different styles could could be a home. But now that Vince is back, it's like those guys really kind of have like one big American permission to go to again. I so I, I want to note uh, that Vince has a mustache now and God, it's, yeah. it I is, think it looks nice. It's dyed like his eyebrows and his hair are and it's just not it's very it's amusing. It's amazing. It's like if if Rob Liefeld drew John Waters. It's one of the, <laughs> the worst possible ones imaginable. But uh, like at this point like he grew that, you know, basically he's like oh, I'm going to grow a mustache and go go viral with it and that'll be funny and then he did. Hey, it's time for the guy of the week, Lauren, every week we remember an athlete of yours, not a Hall of Famer necessarily, but just a guy who makes you think, hey, I remember that guy. And we got a layup for you, Lauren, in honor of your Detroit Lions, your guy of the week. It's Scott Mitchell. You remember that guy? Uh, not on like a first-hand level, but I do. That's right, because you're too young. Scott, yeah, I oh. do know Scott Mitchell. Um, my like very banal association with him is... In high school, my friend's dad, for reasons that I don't know, some sort of inside joke, would use the name Mitchell to put in like carryout orders, uh, just for some reason. I don't even know why. And I used to work carryout, and so for a long time, I thought my friend's dad's name was Mitchell, even though it was not. Uh, and that's my Scott Mitchell story. I confuse him too with uh, Mike Tomzak, who I don't think played a snap for the Lions, but was on the Lions in like a Madden game or something. I think Mac Mike Tomzak played for every NFL team. At yeah. Some point. He was, uh, I, I mean, I associate him with the Bears, but anywhere that there was uh, room for a Polish guy who could throw the ball 11 yards in the air, he was going to be there as like a Tom Jode sort of scenario. Lauren, who is the first Lions quarterback that you really remember? Is it like Kitna? No, no. The Joey Harrington, Mike McMahon. Oh, you know? all right. Yes. Ooh, that is a tough, that's a tough survey. Oh, and Charlie Batch, actually. Charlie yeah. Batch came right before. Uh, I remember like there was a, there was a good solid, I don't know, three to four years of like, Charlie Batch is going to, he's going to blow up this year. He's going to be big. And then it was like, no, he's actually, he's just like a nice, capable backup. Yeah. Mike McMahon, we don't need to talk about where he went to college or anything like that. Ruckers! Ruckers. He's a uh, New Jersey icon. I had a Mike McMahon Lions jersey that I bought on eBay. Again, not important had, why I sense. did that or what time of <laughs> night it was when I ordered it. And it's lost in my home. And I don't know if it, I, I can't imagine that I wore it anywhere and left it there. So I'm hoping that at some point, I did a little bit of some spring cleaning-y stuff last weekend. I still have this hope that at some point when I'm reorganizing things, I will discover wadded up in some dusty corner um, or in, you know, just in the back of a drawer, my Mike McMahon Honolulu Blue Lions jersey. But wow. no luck so far. Good the thing luck. you need to remember, uh, you need to know about Scott Mitchell Lauren is that he was the hottest NFL free agent of 1994 after he played like two or three games filling in for Dan Marino down in Miami. And all of a sudden he was the hottest quarterback in football. And people were like, Oh my God, like a name, like a quarterback or Scott Mitchell doesn't come out on the open market just any old time. And so the lions were like, we got him. We won the Scott Mitchell Derby. And then he was exactly as good as you would have expected. Scott yep. Mitchell. Yeah. It's rough so, that the nineties were like very far and away the, the best decade for the lions, uh, at least in the modern era. And yet, you can still mostly make fun of them for it. Yeah, they like didn't win a playoff game all decade, but you were sort of like, oh, well, you know, they were there, like Wayne Fonts. Like they weren't, stylistically, they had a lot of good stuff going. They went them. to an NFC title game in the 90s. Oh, did they? All right, so they did they won win one game, games. I think, to get to the title game because yeah. they had a bye yes, in 91. They, yes, they destroyed, they destroyed the, 
the Jimmy Johnson Cowboys right before they became a dynasty. And then they met uh, the Commanders, which then had, of course, had a different name. And they got absolutely fucking leveled. Yeah, I have game. been told that like the week leading up to that game was like the best time ever to be in the, the suburban Detroit area. Well, look, you guys are going to be huge Dark Horse favorites this coming season. So get ready for that because you're yep. definitely going to win the NFC. I have no like doubt it, about you it. Can't, if you're going to have two teams that have like a sort of strange national cult of people picking them as their second favorite, and they both have big personality coaches, and those coaches' personalities are literally Dan Campbell on one hand and Wayne Fonts on the other, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> Fonts is, I don't know anything else. He never coached anywhere else as far as I know. And his whole, like, the way he presented was just as, like, a voluble delicatessen owner. Like, he did not look like someone who should be coaching an NFL team, necessarily. And, uh, you know, Campbell doesn't look like anybody, like, he couldn't have another job beyond being a football coach at this point. Like, it's good that those are, that's the, you're staking out your polls on the, you know. He could be a personal trainer. He he would absolutely be a personal trainer. But personal trainer and football coach, not really that big of a difference. I was going to say, like, yeah. Uh, it's time to open up the fun bag. These are real questions from Defector readers and distraction listeners. Roth, I'm actually going to put this one to you. Okay. Um, this is from Jeff. This is quite, I find this quite controversial. Jeff says, Clyde Drexler is well beyond the accolades of a normal guy, but somehow, at least to me, he's very forgettable. What? Hmm. Timothy Mozgov is very much a guy, but much more memorable than Drexler in my memory. I am peak age to remember Drexler because his prime was in my very early adolescence. Should there be a term for a player who was so good and yet so unmemorable? I am offended that yeah, Jeff I does not I remember. I think I disagree with this. Uh, only, only the coolest name in basketball history, and he's like, nah. And Drexler was incredibly cool to watch, as I barely remember his peak, which I guess is Portland. Basically, that it was period. Portland. Of course, it yeah. was. Yeah, I mean, he won a championship with Houston, with Houston. And, then, and was great there still too. But he was uh, like the version of him in college. You hear people talk about the way that they talk about the best college players they ever saw, and then in Portland, it was you know he was the best player on some really really good teams, teams that won the Western Conference. I just don't really remember that because I was little and it was hard to watch Western Conference basketball games when you're in middle school or whatever. Uh, I think the the general premise of the question, which is like, can you remember a guy better than you could remember like a dude? That is definitely true. You know what this question makes me think of? What's that? It makes me think of uh, Steve Francis. Oh. Who the- to me was like a cool player, but existing sort of alongside Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter and Allen Iverson in that era. Like he was kind of the the secondary guy in that, in that grouping. And maybe I like Clyde Drexler relative to, I don't know, like a Dominic Wilkins and the actual like bird yeah. and magic and those guys. Well, also Steve Francis's career had, that's just sort of that weird turn. Like was, wasn't he, didn't he go to China and like, like there was just a lot, of, just like a lot of weird shit going on with Steve Francis. He had, he's got, he had issues I think in his life and stuff, but it was, I think that that, this is definitely like a, um, you know, real uh, <laughs> nerdy topic to be talking about, even by the standards that generally apply to this podcast. But I think that that being in like the bottom tier of dudes, as opposed to the like upper and more colorful tier of guys is definitely like, you're more likely to be forgotten in the former than in the latter. They're like Mozgov was not like really a, a great NBA player, but if you've ever seen an ad that he did, I'm forgetting the name of it. It was called like 
beer garden or brew garden. It was like a very generic uh, Cleveland area brew pub. And he did the ad. Uh, it was like a local TV ad. Definitely learned the English phonetically. It began with him saying the words, get that weak stuff out of here and clearing a table that had bad non-beer garden food on it. And the way he says that, the fact that they put him, they wanted him to be wearing a Cavs jersey, but they didn't want to pay for the licensing. So his jersey's just on backwards. So if you look at the oh. ad, it just says Mozgov right across the top of his chest, but in kind of like that semicircle. Like once you've done that, like, yeah, you're more memorable than like a guy that made three all-star teams for a team that you don't care about. But that doesn't necessarily, I think that's a, you know, a subjective thing. Lauren, is there a demonstrably great Hall of Fame player who you find utterly forgettable? And I don't mean it in an insulting way. You just like, there's nothing about them that that moves you. That's such a free Darko thing to say, but uh, you know what I'm you know what I'm getting at, yeah. right? I don't know. I, I like a lot of a lot of Hall of Famers. You know, actually, you know who I'm gonna say? I'm gonna say a hockey guy. I'm gonna say Luke Robitaille. Um, okay. No, I like that because I or I know who that was. So that's good. <laughs> I mean, great scorer by any measure, but he I think like I know him obviously for his connection with the Red Wings and he came in as like just another Hall of Famer on that like really, really loaded 2002 team. And he felt like, you know, there was Shanahan and Iserman and Fedorov and Brett Hall. And there were just like a lot of uh, names on that team. And even like the the sort of hometown heroes like uh, Draper and McCarty and Malpe. And now I'm just remembering. That's guys, enough. But- That's enough. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go you one better. I'll, I'll make everybody mad and I'll say David Robinson. I don't remember a single goddamn play David Robinson made in his career. I remember he went, he was in the Navy. That's basically it. He was good. Yeah. Although I think that what we're, we're all kind of saying the same thing. So I think Robinson was a much better player than, than that. But with, if Robitaille, it's a little memory I have of him. I know he was a great player, Roth. I'm not disputing that. Oh yeah. I just mean like he was, I think more of a, like he was a big deal. Like culturally, people were like into him. There was like T-shirts and shit. But if you're also a Hall of Famer and you're on a team with another more interesting or more charismatic Hall of Famer, that is like a great way to be remembered as something less probably than what you were. Not to say that I guess Tim Duncan was more charismatic than David Robinson. That's not <laughs> man. That is that's a lot. That's a yeah. big. Uh, that's a big. What jump. is the most room temperature food that you've ever consumed? <laughs> like it is a really confusing. Uh, Last one, uh, Lauren, this is from Bill. He says, now that pretty much everybody has a device that can track the number of steps they take, I've been trying to figure out whether most people have taken more steps inside or outside in their entire lives. I'm thinking outside for me because of walking for exercise, walking to and from trains when I commuted, former time living in the city without a car. My wife is a school teacher and hits virtually all her steps inside during the week, but used to walk to and from school as a kid and for an early teaching job. She thinks that if inside steps aren't her majority yet, they soon will be. Where, Lauren Tyson, do you think most folks fall lifetime stepwise, inside or outside? Wow. Um, Poof. It's a, it's it's a, a classic ending. fun bag format question. <laughs> I love it. So my first instinct is outside because, um, I don't know, just like any like long, long walk you do is going to be outside. And like for me, like getting from place to place involves like walking outside much more than it does does walking inside. But I'm starting to wonder if like like I don't own a car and I'm I'm trying to decide if that like completely yeah, you changes live in New the York. equation for me. I yeah. do live in New York. Um I don't I don't know. I can't speak for car owners. I'm only gonna speak for uh you know, the common folk and say outside. But isn't that so 
isn't it so utterly dependent on where you live, right? Like, if we were all in Europe, the answer would be outside, wouldn't it? But you're in yeah. America, which is like, this is a, this is a country that de- fucking despises walking. Yeah. You could also only take so long a walk inside for the most part. You know, like you're in an airport. If you're in an airport, (laughs) right. Yeah. If you're flying out of uh, like LaGuardia and you're in gate like 109, you can definitely walk a mile under the same, you know, fluorescent lights and all that. Oh, yeah. You're flying out of Atlanta. Forget it, man. You are walking. That's that's the exception that proves the rule, though. If you want to get a lot of steps at once, you pretty much have to be outside of a building. And yet, I think that that's your point about the, the car thing is like, if you were to break it down, if my parents were to be doing it at this point, it's like, I think that they probably take 85% of their steps inside because the only time they're outside is walking to or from a car for the most part. And also like, yeah, walking to or from a car. And then also like, if you go to a gym and you're on a treadmill, you're taking steps inside on a treadmill and millions and millions and millions of people do that here in America. I did it for many, many years. I don't think that should count. Or what, or, uh, or old people, uh, walking around malls. Like I did, I used to see them in Minnesota cause of the, cause of the weather, like you would have to walk inside. You, you would, you would die if you were 80 years old and you were trying to take a stroll outside, they would have them walk in the mall or along the skyways and stuff like that. So I think it's a lot of it is dependent on where you live and your age, but I think there are probably a bit more people who have more inside steps, uh, than outside steps than we perhaps think. That is, that is my guess. I I'll, I'll go with you, Lauren though. Because I like being an optimist, and I will say outside. Yeah, I feel know. like it. I feel like outside over the course of a lifetime will uh, win out. But yeah, it's probably going to be distressingly close. The uh, other thing is, don't sleep on the very advent of these devices that count steps and making people more step aware, so that they're like, "Oh, I only, I only walked five thousand steps today. I better go walk to the fucking donut shop." It absolutely <laughs> has done that for me. I have a little thing that when I get to whatever, it's like six thousand steps, not even a high number, but if I get to that, it does a little like digital confetti thing on the screen. Oh, does and, it? Yep. And I'll tell you, like a fucking baby, like I'm just sort of like, I want to see those confettis. And so I will, <laughs> if I'm close, I will pace in the front of the apartment at like 11.40 p.m. until that I see the, get so the fucking great. pop. And then I'm like, great. Now Fuck. I can go to bed. Well, look, I think also we should count the quality of the steps like Draymond Green stepping on Arvidas Sabonis' kid. That, there you to go. me, that's like worth a thousand indoor steps because it's you just say so Arvidas Sabonis, We should mention, DeMontis Sabonis is a grown man. If you don't yeah, know how I old know. Arvidas Sabonis is and you all you're familiar with is that Draymond Green is the heel, he didn't step on a little kid. He stepped on a 25-year-old man's chest in a game, which is still bad. Motherfucker, we did a whole post by Charlie Pierce that was about the Sabonis kid, but all through his old man. So don't you go... Boomering me about I'll, these I'll shit. Boomer River, I fucking feel like. I'll boom you. Eric Silver is our producer. <laughs> Brandon Grugel is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com right now. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or call us at 909 726 3720 and leave us a message. That's 909 Panera Zero. Lauren oh. Tyson. You got anything you want to plug before we shove off? Uh, watch hockey. Oh, please wow. Like her sport. Yes, wow. Please. Turns out she's a paid plant by the NHL. That's just great. Well done. I'll see you next week, Raw. Thanks, Lauren. Bye. Bye. Bye.